Thank you, Sam, for leading the first part of the service. Thank you for Brian for leading very helpfully in prayer. And um, uh, hello to all those who are watching, I suppose. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 John 4 and particularly verses 3 to uh, verses 13 to 16. 1 John 4 verses 13 to 16. And our topic will be quite a familiar topic. Familiar in the sense that it's come up repeatedly as, we've, as we have gone through uh, the letter of 1 John. And familiar in the sense that a lot of Christians face these types of questions um, regularly throughout their Christian life. Uh, the topic that we're going to consider is how can we know that we are truly saved? How can we know that we are real believers? This might especially be a pressing question if, for example, you've been in the church for as long as you can remember, and there's no point that you can look back at where you had a very sudden uh, or dramatic uh, conversion experience. Some people can look back to a time where once I was clearly not a believer, and God moved powerfully in my life, and everything changed from that point. But some, especially if you've grown up in a Christian home, or perhaps even if you've just all your life attended church, uh, don't necessarily have that dramatic conversion experience to look back to. You're com- you were converted, certainly, but perhaps it took several years uh, or months. And you're left questioning, am I really a believer? How do I know that the religious performance that I see in my life is true spiritual life? How do I know that I'm not just deceiving myself? How do I know that it's not just empty habits that I've picked up from other people? Those are the questions we're going to be dealing with today. The title of my sermon is The Work of the Spirit in Christian Assurance. And my first point is that assurance... Assurance of salvation comes through the Spirit. You will hear in those the title and the first point that the key to answering this question is to discern whether or not we are people who have been given the Spirit. Do we have the Spirit within us? But before we get to that, uh, there's a little bit of jargon busting I want to do. Because in the title and in that first point, I've said I've talked about assurance. Now, what is Christian assurance? Uh, Simply, the definition of Christian assurance, or, or one explanation of it, could be Christian assurance is the confidence that we will be saved. Uh, in fact, it's the confidence that we are saved. The confidence that we are saved. Now, some might have questions about that, because surely that sounds terribly arrogant. How can a person possibly declare themselves to be a child of God? How can somebody be so confident that that God will accept them? Well, uh, let me just clarify the nature of this confidence that assurance is. This confidence is not the real brash overconfidence, the sort of overconfidence that would lead you to live in a way that disregards the instructions of God's word. It's not the sort of brash overconfidence that says, well, you know what, I'm saved, uh, nothing else matters, and once you're saved, you're always saved, so I can go and live uh, however I please. It's certainly not that type of confidence that I'm talking about. 
Interestingly, even in 1 John, there are some people who are like that, who are addressed. In chapter 1, verse 6, John talks about people who claim to have fellowship with God, who is light, and yet these people carry on walking in darkness. These are not really saved people. These are not children of God, John says. The confidence that is in Christian assurance is not the sort of confidence that leads you to be brash and and carefree about the way you live. And yet, that doesn't mean that we can have no confidence at all. We can still be confident. And actually, true Christian faith, the way the New Testament describes faith, is packed full of confidence. Interestingly, in Hebrews 11, one of the definitions of what faith is, you could describe as confidence. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Faith is confidence. Now, so important is this point that actually it's a great question to ask people if you're trying to share the gospel. And if you want to, if you're dealing with somebody who uh, perhaps thinks they might be a Christian, perhaps has been to a church for a long time, a really good question to ask them is, um, if you die tonight, would God accept you into heaven? If their answer starts with something like, well, uh, you know, I, I hope so. Or I like to think that probably he would do. You can hear in that answer that there's no real certainty. There's no confidence there. It's wishful thinking. It's optimistic expectation. Yeah, I hope he will, they might say. Then you know that this person doesn't really have true faith. And you can show them what true faith is from the New Testament. That it's not just a vague wishful thinking, but it's real confidence. We see that confidence come up throughout the letter of first john in fact it's one of the key aims of john in this letter i'm going to take you back again to the key verse uh, which is 1 john chapter 5 verse 13 john says look the reason i'm writing these things to you to you who believe in the name of the son of god is so that you may know that you have eternal life john says look i'm writing to you so that you can have certainty And we see it in the verses we're considering today. Verse 13, we know. We know it. We are certain. We know that we live in him and he in us. Now, notice this confidence that John is talking about. It's not dependent on some future event happening. Back in March of this year, Some of you might have been certain of what you would be doing this Christmas. But it's interesting that certainty was a very limited certainty. It was a certainty, all other things being equal. You might have been certain because, look, you always do the same thing at Christmas. You might have been certain because you already had something booked for this coming Christmas. People book it up to a year in advance, don't they? You might have been certain what was happening this Christmas, and yet, The events of this year have shown whatever certainty we had back in March has been uh, thrown out of the water because that certainty was dependent upon other circumstances. But the certainty of Christian assurance is not dependent on future uh, on future things happening. John says we know 
that we live in him and he in us. He's not talking about a future event. We know that it will happen. He's saying we know today. You see, some treat salvation a bit like uh, the certainty you have about what we'll do at Christmas. Uh, They treat salvation as, uh, well, okay, if I died today, I'd be confident that God would accept me. But when Christ returns, or, or when I eventually die, will God accept me on that day? You know, that's a little bit harder to say, they might argue. People might argue, you know, I'm going to face all sorts of temptations. I'm going to face all sorts of difficulties in my Christian life. Who knows whether I will continue in the faith? There are lots of people who claim to be believers who have fallen away from the faith. Who knows if I won't become one of them? Their certainty in salvation is entirely dependent on other things, namely their own performance. So long as I continue in my faith, then I can be certain. The problem with that sort of certainty is, well, partly it's not the biblical pattern of certainty that we're given for our faith. But also is that it leads to fear. It leads to uh, a struggle through the Christian life to make sure that you're constantly uh, keeping up to speed with what you ought to be doing and proving yourself. The the um, Your confidence rests upon your own performance because you feel like unless I can keep up this act, I cannot have certainty that God will accept me. Now, for John, Christian assurance is something so much more than that limited type of confidence. Christian assurance is to know today that we live in him and he in us. It's to know today that I have been born again. It's to know today that I have eternal life. It's not dependent on future events. I am a child of God today. Now, how can we possibly have such strength of confidence? How can we possibly know with such certainty? Chapter 4, verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. It's the spirit. Assurance of salvation comes through the spirit. The spirit is uh, the Holy Spirit. John describes him as his spirit. That is the spirit of God. And so the spirit, you you need to recognize, is not a a principle or an idea or or simply a force. The spirit is a a person. And so already we can rule out some other sources of confidence in the Christian life. Ask yourself, uh, what is my foundation of confidence that I will be saved? If you dig real deep into what you are standing on, what you are what you are certain of, why is it that God will accept you? I don't just mean look at the outward signs. I mean, really get to the foundation of what you're standing on. If you can go no deeper than your baptism, if you can go no deeper than your church attendance, if you can find nothing else other than I just do Christian things, isn't that enough? then the foundation that you're standing on is ultimately your own performance. It's not our own performance that gives us this confidence. It's the spirit. And he is given to us. He's not earned. 
It's not merit. Uh, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. If the deepest level, if the foundation of your confidence is your own performance, it's not a confidence that has been received. And John's saying Christian assurance is a received certainty. It's something you are given as a gift, not something that you earn. Similarly, if the foundation of your confidence is something that you understand, because I can explain, because I can recite, because I am familiar with, because I read my Bible, if it's an understanding or a knowledge, then also that is not, it's not this sort of confidence that, that John is talking about. The spirit is a person. He is personal. He's not simply a principle to be understood. And so if the very foundation of your certainty is that I understand the right things, I can explain the gospel, then perhaps you're not resting your confidence in the right place. Perhaps you've not received this spirit. The question is presented to us then. How do we know that we have this spirit? How do I know that I am one who has been given this spirit? This isn't the first time in 1 John that that question has come up. If you look back up in your Bibles, the last verse of chapter 3 is almost identical to verse 13 that we've read. The last verse of chapter 3 is, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Again, you read that and you're going to think, well, how do I know I've got the spirit? And the next two chunks of chapter 4... Uh, the two chunks that we've considered in the last two weeks, give the explanation. This is how you know that you've got the spirit. Um, there's the issue of uh, what you acknowledge. And there's the issue in verse 7 to 12 of how you live, how you love more precisely. And we get those same two tests come up in verse 13 to 16. John says, that you know you've got the spirit because the spirit gives faith. That's what he said in verse 2. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit who acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, you might remember to the day when Joseph preached on that verse. And at the time, he made the comment that uh, although it seems like such a, a blunt and simple fact to acknowledge, there's much more implied. But you can't get around the fact that when you read that verse, it seems so simple. You just acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's it. That's all the spirit does. That's real saving faith. Well, now in verse 14 and 15, John expands on that same idea. He makes clear the implications that were already there in verse two. Verse 14. We have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, then God lives in him and he in God. The link between verse 14 and 15 is that the acknowledgement that Jesus is the son of God is the acknowledgement that Jesus has been sent from God, sent from the father, sent for a purpose, that purpose being to be the savior of the world. The Spirit causes us to acknowledge Jesus as the Saviour of the world. In what sense is he the Saviour? 
if you've been around Christian churches for some time, that'll seem like a, a painfully obvious question. But it's worth asking the obvious questions sometimes. In 1 John, he doesn't use the word saviour all that often. But he does make it clear about what he means when he's talking about Jesus as the saviour. Right at the beginning of the letter, in, in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, that's when he, he first starts talking about the world. And he says, Jesus has come as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus is saving us by being an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus has come to offer himself to take the anger of God at our sin. So that we can be saved from the punishment that our sin deserves. When the spirit gives faith, it gives you faith to acknowledge this very fact. If you're wondering, are you a true believer? Are you really belonging to Christ? Do you have true spiritual life? The first test of whether you've got the spirit is, what is your faith based on? Can you see your own sin? Do you recognize that you need an atoning sacrifice? If you do recognize your own sin, if you see your need to be saved from the punishment that is due to you for your sin, don't stop there. There's more. Do you recognize Jesus as the only means to be saved from that sin? Do you recognize him as the one who gave his own life to rescue you? If that is the content of your faith, be encouraged. Because if that's the content of your faith, it's faith given by the Spirit. Anyone, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, implied, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus has been sent by the Father to be the Saviour of the world, then God lives in him and he in God. Is Jesus just your helper to make you a better person? Or is he your saviour? Can you get to God without Jesus? Or do you need him? Do you depend upon him? Do you stand upon him as your foundation? Do you see what the Spirit's doing here? He's moving our confidence away from ourselves, away from our own performance, and onto another person. Jesus, he becomes the foundation that we stand on. He's the reason I can be confident before God. Not because of my performance or my church attendance or my cultural background, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done on my behalf to save me from sin. There's another sign that John gives. Uh, and the second sign is that the spirit, as well as bringing faith, the spirit also brings love. But be careful. These two signs are not distinct and separate. You know, like when you play a fruit machine, um, not that I play many fruit machines, but you know, the, you get the idea. You spin the spinner and if you get one out of three, you get zero points. If you get two out of three, you get zero points. You've got to get all three spinners on the fruit machine in order to get the jackpot. Is that what John's saying uh, with these tests? If you've got the, if you've got faith, then that's one. But unless you've got love, then you don't win any prize. You're not really saved. 
No, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's, he's not putting them as distinct, where you need to grab both in order to be a winner. He's, the reason I don't think he's saying that is because verse 15 has got to be able to stand on its own. Verse 15 has got to be right on its own without necessarily reading on to verse 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives him, him and he in God. That's got to be true on its own. And so when verse 16 comes and gives us this second test, it's not distinct as, oh, this is something else you also need to have. In fact, this second test is a qualifier of the first. The first is still true, but it's true only if it's this type of faith. And so the qualifier is this. To acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, to acknowledge that he is the saviour of the world, is not just to acknowledge a fact or an idea or a doctrine. It's to acknowledge an act of love, actually. In verse 9, this is how God showed his love. He sent his son. Verse 10, this is love that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. To acknowledge Jesus Christ, to put your faith in him, is not just to understand a theory. It's to accept an act of love. It's like the difference between uh, understanding, for example, that oranges are good for you, and maybe even then changing how you act by eating oranges regularly. That would be one sense that you can acknowledge. But there's another sense that you can acknowledge things. Maybe somebody has hurt you and they send you a bunch of flowers as an apology or they try and make up in some way and you can acknowledge that apology. And the acknowledgement is very different to just, oh, that that's helped me understand. The acknowledgement leads you to a change in that relationship you have with a person. You see, faith is not just an understanding. Faith is relational. It is personal. Is that your faith? Is your faith loving? Is Does your faith lead you to love God more than just know about him? Does your love for God and the relationship that you have with him ever have other consequences in your life? Does it mean, for example, that you that you hate the sin that remains? Do you have a desire to please God? Or do you just do your religious acts out of duty? A slightly more abstract one, but I feel one that is relevant in today's society, is could your understanding of God and could your worship of God be easily replaced if God was somehow shown to be simply an impersonal force, some some physical rule behind the universe. Is God just a principle or a force in your life? Or is he a person? Do you simply understand God or do you love him and know him? The faith that the Spirit gives is faith that is filled with love. And if you think about it, you've got to ask, well, of course, it's obvious. How could it be anything else? It's got to be loving faith because the faith is in an act of love. And so the response it generates ought to be 
a response of love. Uh, And the faith is given by the spirit, the spirit of God, the God who is love. And to receive the spirit is not just to, uh, to, to get these gifts from him separate from you, but actually to have him living in us. We know that we live in him and he in us. And so this love of God is going to disperse itself through our own lives as it wraps us up in itself. We are first receivers of his love. That is, we receive Jesus as our sacrifice. Then we are partakers of his love. Uh, We receive the spirit, his life intertwined with ours. And then finally, we become givers of his love. We live in love, verse 16. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. And thus love is made complete among us. Because the love that starts out with a love for God leads then on to love for God's people. I think this is the, the logic that's behind verse 19, for example. We love because he first loved us. It's his love for us that then works through us to cause love in us. Do you have the spirit? Do you acknowledge Jesus as your only saviour from sin? And is that acknowledgement described, characterised, shown through love? Love for God and love for his people. Interestingly, back in the first century, uh, Paul had grasped the idea that faith and love are not separable, but they are intertwined. And he was able to write to the Corinthians and say, look, if you have faith, even faith that can move mountains, but have not love, you are nothing. Today, perhaps we need to reverse that because a more common claim is I'm a loving person. And yet their love is totally detached from any idea of faith. If you have love and not faith, then you are nothing. The faith and the love that the spirit gives are intertwined. They are the, the, they are different aspects of the same gift. And if you can see both of them in your life, if you, if you can see either of them sincerely, if you can see them working together, then you can have confidence that the spirit has been given to you and has begun his work in you. Why is it all important? Why is it a question worth answering? Well, I hope that's obvious from what we heard this morning, for example, but also what we've picked up on so far this evening. It's important that we have the spirit, not just so that we can be bona fide members of the church family. It's important that we have the spirit because there is a day of judgment coming. And the only way we can be confident on that day of judgment, the only way that we will be saved from the punishment that is due to us for our own sin, is if we have received the faith that the Spirit gives that causes us to trust in Jesus and him alone. It's not a, it's not a waiting game, this confidence. You don't have to wait for the day of judgment to come to be certain that, oh yes, I'll have this faith. 
The faith is given and you can see it now. This is what Christian assurance is. It's not optimistic anticipation. It is humble, yet very certain confidence. Confidence that on the day of judgment I will be safe because I can see that even today I am being made like him. That I've been joined to him. That I am living in him and he is living in me. Remember we spoke about if your faith is simply based on what might continue to happen in your life. If you can only be confident, all other things being equal. It will only lead you to to fear. To fear that you're not doing enough. To fear that you're not good enough. But Christian faith, the faith that the Spirit gives, doesn't have anything to do with fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in true faith. There is no fear in what the Spirit gives. Because it drives out fear. It gives us confidence that we are children of God, that we have, and that we have uh, gone through that irreversible process of being born again and granted eternal life. Have you got that spirit? Some people listening this evening may need to be challenged by that question. Have you got that spirit? Is your faith in Christ genuinely in Christ? Or is it simply that you're copying the habits of other people in the church? But John didn't write really these verses to challenge. He wrote them to encourage. Have you got that spirit? Do you know, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ as the only way that you can be forgiven for your sins, then no matter your failings, no matter your difficulties, no matter the, the, the coldness of your heart that you experience sometimes, know this, that nobody puts their faith in Jesus Christ in that way unless the Spirit has opened their eyes to trust in him. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Perhaps you're torn up by your own failings, your own sin. Be encouraged, John says, if you're if the foundation of your confidence is in Jesus Christ as your only saviour. You would not have that faith if it were not for the spirit working in you.